Aloha! You are listening to Inside the Desert Oasis Room, episode number 184. This episode is sponsored by the Tiki Bar T-Shirt Club, where their monthly t-shirt designs pay tribute to a Polynesian bar or restaurant from days long past. Each design is available for a limited time and will never be produced again. For the collectors out there, be sure to check out their subscription program, where they offer a discounted 3, 6, or 12-month plan, or you can always buy shirts one at a time. For more information and to check out this month's shirt, visit tikibartshirtclub.com. On this episode, we celebrate 20 years of the Book of Tiki. Join us inside the Desert Oasis Room as we chat with historian and urban archaeologist Sven Kirsten, author of the Book of Tiki, Tiki Modern, and Tiki Pop. Hear the stories behind creating the Book of Tiki, the early days of the modern-day Tiki revival, his thoughts on Tiki culture today, and learn about the exciting book projects he currently has in progress. As always, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did bringing it to you. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider helping us with your support during this challenging time. Stop by DesertOasisRoom.com to check out our merch or leave us a tip. Any purchase or donation, no matter the size, is totally appreciated and helps keep this podcast coming to you every week. All righty. Let's get into this. Grab a cocktail and join us inside the Desert Oasis Room with the one and only Sven Kirsten. and chilled I hope you like it cheers I already so, do cheers it's a homemade made up concoction mm. <laughs> so Sven mm. welcome back to the podcast yeah it's been a while congratulations on 20 years on I, the book of Tiki I know it's uh, unbelievable flies, right and I really I, I'm especially Happy to be here because of this. I don't know how many people know about so let's, this. So let's, let's bring that out. So this is my copy of the Book of Tiki. I often tell the story about how excited I was to get this book and how impatient I was for it to get finished. Right. So for the... You, you knew about it from Oceanic Arts, yeah, right? from Oceanic Arts. For the people that uh, don't know this story that I haven't told a million times yet... Uh, <laughs> Sven and I met at Oceanic Arts at the counter when he had a stack of materials that he was borrowing from Bob and Leroy when he was writing this book. Right. And me being somebody that was a tiki guy that would go to Oceanic Arts to always buy stuff for my collection, stuff for my shelves, decor, all that kind of stuff, uh, I always felt like I was this lone guy that liked this weird tiki stuff and then one day I happened to be there when you were there and Bob said hey this is Sven he's writing 
a book. A wow, book. there's a card from Father Scott in there. I remember him from the Tiki Tea. Yeah, you know, he married me and my wife. Oh, how he great. Stephanie, yeah. What a sweet guy. Yeah, man. really nice guy. Where is he now? In like some, I think he is I, back in the United States. At one point, he moved overseas. He was living right. in India for a little bit. India. And I think he's somewhere in the Midwest. I'm guessing though. So you were the lonely guy that even that you like you said like your sisters were making fun of you My for sisters doing. Sisters were making fun of me. <laughs> doing that for, tiki for, stuff. For collecting this crazy stuff. And what I didn't know was that there was this whole community. Already, of, yeah. Of, of you and Otto and and Jeff, Jeff Barry, Barry. Yeah. and I think Bosco was part of that too. When did you when did you go start going to the Tiki Tea? I mean, nineteen ninety five, I think uh -huh. it was. We probably ran into each other there, and we we probably. didn't know each other. Probably. Yeah. Well, when you and I first met, I had knew nothing about the Book of Tiki, and I knew nothing about this community right. that was gathering for these different things that you guys were doing back then in search of Polynesian pop, in search of tiki. Tell me what that was like. What was it like in the 80s and 90s, that the, the tiki scene? Wait, we haven't really introduced your book yet. Okay, so let's we, do that. We, we, we you know, I, I said this is the, the book that got us together in a way. So Adrian was there from the very beginning um, even before the book uh, came out, he knew about it, and he was impatient for it to come out. And it, it is funny because other people were too. And you, you know, you 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 heard that it became a running joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this guy's, you know, telling everybody this. He's going to do the book on Tiki. Right. And you know, I I've, I had been working on it for eight years, and I started sort of like disbelieving it at some point too because you know I, I was telling Bob and Leroy you know hold on to your stuff you know don't give it to anybody else because I'm going to do the defi definitive book on it and stuff and after a couple of years they were like yeah 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 you're yeah, going to yeah. and it's like <laughs> and that makes it so much more sweet for it to have come out and to have become what it has become because you know uh uh I'm sure there are lots of stories of people talking about these things and they're not happening, but it did happen. And they, they, you know, I, I just did a post on my Facebook page about how gratifying it was to give them something that that represented their life's work, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. The, the, to show to the veterans that their work amounted to something, you know, that it was valuable and um, basically art, you know. Yeah. And they found a celebrity status, well-deserved celebrity status, after the book was released. Right. They were just these guys that were kind of under the radar, that were had their hands well, in everything, that, that, that had built a lot of... They were tiki, in, yeah, in a yeah. sense. I mean, all the great tiki temples uh, across America, from the Maikai to the Kahiki, to the Tropics Motel chain, to the luau they had, they supplied them all, you know? Yeah, yeah. But let's talk about what what you did. Um, uh, Adrian did something very special. He came up with the idea to carry the book with him to tiki events and tiki bars and have people from the tiki scene sign them, uh, you know, with, with uh, write a dedication in it and... 
you know, we really, we should, maybe you should uh, uh, film some close-ups of I it will and, do that. and yeah. cut into the podcast so people can, can see the actual signatures and you can maybe do a commentary about yeah. who, who, who is that and, you know, the situation and, and stuff. It was my way of meeting people that, you know, it was hard for me to meet people in the beginning in this tiki yeah, because, community. Yeah, right. We all know each other, and yeah. then who's this guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so carrying the book around, it was a way for me to break the ice. People would ask about the book, and then I would... It was sort of like your club card. And, you yeah, would, exactly. like, pull it out, like, here, I'm a member. Right. <laughs> and, and what I love about my particular copy is Sven has renamed mine the Book of Polynesian Pop. I know it's hard to see in camera because it's dark, but it is... It is a uh, an ode to this genre that maybe people don't already know that you named this particular period in American history Polynesian pop. Yeah, and you were Polynesian pop. That yes. was your moniker. Yeah. You had just become a father, yeah. so you called yourself Polynesian pop, and that's why I, you know, I, I signed it on top, and then you know said the book of Polynesian pop because it's your book. Yeah. The first two signatures in this book was you and Jeff Berry. Oh, great. And Very cool. I don't know if you recall that when you had that first, no. I think it was the first book <laughs> signing, you were signing together, he had his grog log. Ah, right. And I think that was at Oceanic Arts. Probably, yeah. They had made Mai Tais and they were serving it out of a clamshell. Uh-huh. And it was a fun Saturday morning, I remember. Right, right. And uh, interesting time. Yes. Yeah, so... Fun book, changed my life. You've mm. probably heard that a million times. I don't carry it around anymore because, as you can see, it's falling apart. Yeah. And I didn't and want the book it's to dissolve. it's pretty chock full of, I mean, there's no room to right. <laughs> I didn't want it to, the book to dissolve on me. And I, I started using stickers to hold it together. Right. <laughs> so when you open it, there are pages that actually the binding had separated. All so right. you, I put a sticker across the, oh, cool. the binding so that it would keep the book together. Great, so, great idea. So that's, that's why there's stickers all in there. But tell me about that time when you were writing this book. What, what was the, the, the tiki, quote-unquote, tiki scene, if there was one, back in the 80s and 90s? Yeah, well, it came together slowly. Um, and one of the first people I, I met was Jeff Barry. Uh, he, he happened to, I don't know, he didn't live in my neighborhood then. He still lived down in Playa del Rey nearby the great apartment supply at a very Polynesian oh, village. okay. But, um, and then through Jeff, I met Bosco, and then we heard about Otto somewhere down in Venice, and um, we were like, who's this guy? You know, right, right. there were really so few people around that when you heard about a new guy that's into it, you were like really curious. And then Otto had his first tiki mug party where people were invited to bring their mugs and do like sort of show and tell. And um, I think I already did a slideshow there then about tiki because I had I had started doing my own little uh, what I called uh, symposiums at friends' houses where the few people that I knew um, would gather for an evening, and I would do. I would show slides from my my photo uh, safaris, and uh, we would drink cocktails and do show and tell. And um, 
then autumn started the smug parties and that's where we met shag and um, from the mug parties, Otto started doing like little art shows and art event with events with live music and and you know like two or three yeah. vendors that were doing tiki art in some form. And um, yeah, it was a very sort of a tight knit group. When you met Otto, was he already doing tiki news? Mm-mm. That started. Um, you know, I don't know, pretty soon after. And, you know, I became the so-called editor uh, of Tiki News. I didn't edit much. I did contribute, though, uh, always at least one article. Um, some of them, for example, in Tiki News number one, I, you know, I did this uh, article simply called Tiki, Who Was He? Where I got into I the, the origin of Tiki yeah. and the meaning of it and the... The, the Polynesian mythology of him and then how it turned into, you know, the American pop culture. And that, you know, some of these articles in Tiki News actually were incorporated in into the Book of Tiki. Okay, okay. So, what inspired you to write the book? Um, you know, I always say that I'm a a visual junkie being a cinematographer i'm i'm very visually oriented and um i feel like i need a steady influx of of visual nourishment to keep keep me going to keep me inspired and 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 happy and that was before the internet you know yeah. now it's easy to come by it's almost overwhelming but back then you know, you, you, you know, I just walk around with my eyes open and if I see something that I think, oh, that's cool. Um, also, now I can photograph it with my cell phone. Back then, you know, you had to have a film sure. camera and, yeah. and shoot with expensive slide film and have it developed and stuff. So, but I walk around and when, when I see something that I like uh, or I think is special, my natural inclination is that I wanted to share it with people. And that's what happened with Tiki. Um, I found like my first Tiki mug and then my roommate at the time came home with some Milan Guanco Easter Island heads that she oh, had bought wow. at a uh, Filipino community center market oh, wow. <laughs> wow. In, near downtown. And um, I liked them and um, then I started looking for more stuff. Yeah. like that and yeah. it was almost impossible to, to find and um, but instead of like sort of giving up that kind of spurred me on to to search more and more right. and then I was living in the Hollywood Hills at the time and I forgot how I came upon Sea and Jungle but they were just basically on the other side of the hill from me uh, and Sea and Dangle was like the equivalent to Oceanic Arts and right. size and, and scope. And, and also, they also had, you know, supplied all the studios and lots of restaurants and stuff. And they had, it was this incredible one-stop tiki shop that they not only had carvings, but, um, you know, they had all the supplies. Um, they even had a blacklight room. Okay. At the, which uh, you know, yeah, at the time yeah. I had known about what you know that that's that's a, a kind of a weird side genre of tiki that that has not been explored much, 
but that was a facet of original Tiki, because if you remember the Tiki Tea, that waterfall in the corner, there was all black light. Great point. Yeah. You know, yeah. and 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 you know some of the. I never thought of that. Yeah. I went to the Omni Hut out in Tennessee. Yeah. And the whole place was black light. All wow. the masks in there were black light. Well, in the Kahiki entrance hall, when you walked into the Kahiki, there was a waterfall left and right that they had put fluorescent uh, materials in, yeah. and there was a black light uh, waterfall. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And you, you, you associate black light always with like psychedelic. The right. psychedelic period, you know, with hippies and stuff, because that's when it became really popular. But if you think back to Disneyland, Mr. Toad's Ride, oh yeah, that was pre-hippie. Yeah, yeah. Blacklight at the time was just a very novel effect, you yeah. know, that yeah. that people were using to to uh, impress people, and, and you know, it, it was interesting and weird. So there were tiki uh, elements that that used the blacklight thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, one of the interesting things that you've told me that I always remember is when we talk about the time oh. that you were researching the book, yeah. or actually prior to researching the book, when you were first learning about this particular subculture in American history that was long forgotten, you, you said something to me where you said, I began to realize that someone should write a book about this. And I thought, this is so great, someone should write a book. <laughs> and one day you realized that there was no one more knowledgeable and had done as much research as you. Right. So you thought, well, if there's going to be a book, the only way it's going to happen is if I write it. Yeah. You know, there were tiki enthusiasts, like I said. Uh, um, the, our group, and, and, and Jeff Berry was already very active with his uh, cocktail research. Um, and we were, you know, he was like absolutely on par with me in terms of knowledge about tea. I mean, we were best friends and we shared everything. Um, but uh, there were there was this um, um, L.A. artist society. Uh, actually, I think they started in San Francisco and they were an offspring of the Church of Subgenius, which was this kind of fake um, cult. It was really funny and a really great church of genius. Anyway, the the Cacophony Society had these events and and they had this uh, meeting at Bahukas, where a, a few people I knew, but also uh, a couple of people that I had not met before, got together at Bahukas at this round table and started discussing tiki culture and doing like a show and tell what they knew and stuff and that really was sort of the key event where I realized well I haven't really found out anything new and I know about you know 50 times more right, <laughs> than anybody right. there right. so maybe I should be doing the one who's 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 doing the book about it because uh, I know more about it than anybody else already and that was in you know, the early 90s, in yeah, 92, yeah. I think. And that's when I started out going, specifically going out and photographing and looking for places and photographing them. When you were doing that, were you doing that just as a hobby? That wasn't for the book at, at, at that point yet, right? No, I think it was already uh, with the idea of, of collecting material for a book. Okay, okay. Yeah. 
I like the cheat that you said to me once. If you look at a skyline and you see tall palm trees, right? You said there's usually there's a reason why there's a cluster of palm trees, right? And it ended up always being some kind of an apartment, or maybe there was a restaurant that had especially in the valley, because the valley is this flat landscape, and you know, and you, I call it an urban sea. Yeah. And out of the urban sea. You saw these palm trees like islands sticking out of the urban sea, and you saw them because they were from apartment complexes that were built around 1960 in the early 60s. So anything later than that had the the, the tropical growth was not as tall, right. so they would stick out. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, I I used to be fair, I used uh, yellow pages to uh, to find and look looking for Hawaiian names for apartment buildings, but. A lot of times I would just get into my 60 Buick LeSabre and I would cruise the valleys, uh, streets that were on this grid and just look into the distance and see see if I found some. So this was this urban archaeology f for you right. when you were doing uh, the research for the book. Did the urban archaeology start when you were writing the book or were you doing that before? Well, you know, I obviously always had a knack for vintage styles and 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 art forms, um, but I did not focus on on really uh, researching them. And so I, I would say no, it, it's definitely started for the Book of Tiki, okay. and that's where I came up with the uh, uh, name urban archaeology was such such a perfect metaphor of yeah, these yeah. forgotten. Right. You know, apartment buildings where a lot of the tiki's were like overgrown or fallen over, right. that were just real archaeological sites of, of you know, from Polynesia or, or the you know the South American jungle where you'd find uh, a hidden temple in the jungle. Yeah. One of the illustrations, I shouldn't say illustrations, photograph in the book is of a <coughs> hedge. Just looks like a bush, mm. and then in the second photo, you pull back. That was actually Jeff Berry. Who, that's Jeff Berry's hand oh, okay. pulling back pulling the foliage, back, and then there's an eye yeah. of a tiki right. that the bush has grown over. Yeah, well, that was particularly funny uh, and telling because we later on talked to the manager of that apartment complex, which was the Outrigger Apartments on um, on Rosemead Boulevard. That's since. Of course, has been renamed into some other fancy uh -huh. name that has nothing to do with Polynesia. But um, yeah, the manager proudly told us, yeah, yeah, that they got written, rid of all the tiki's, and but uh, but this one was a support post tiki, so they so had they couldn't it, get rid of it. They had it grown over on purpose because oh. because as as the manager put it, it would date the building, you know, yeah, yeah. and of course. When you're running, you know, any kind of business doesn't want to seem outdated. Uh, sure. You know, hotel, yeah. apartment buildings and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. People always want what's new and modern. Yeah. Yeah. No matter how bland and boring and generic it is. When you were writing this book and in this, this process of discovery, what were the, some of the things that you learned during the research and writing process? And... and was there anything that surprised you? 
it's a lot that surprised me. Well, what I, you know, it was really like a, a pieces of a puzzle or of a mosaic coming yeah. together, forming this complete, pervasive art form that in its day nobody had realized as such. Because for any serious uh, art critics, you know, were looking down on it because it was just purely popular taste yeah. and supposedly kitsch. And um, and also, you know, people weren't putting two and two get together. Uh, um, cities across America weren't as interconnected, you know. People would be somewhere in Columbus, Ohio, and, and think that, that this was the only... Polynesian restaurant there was or something sure. like that. They they were, weren't making the connections between cities and 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 you know the the chains like Trader Vic's and and Steve Crane's Contiki's and stuff. Um, and that you know we were talking about that earlier. Did that also enabled people to rip each other off with designs? Right. And what I call the transmission tradition of tiki. Where people, restaurants just stole somebody's, you know, menu tiki and put it on their matchbook and stuff like that. The tiki painted on the side of the tiki tea. Right. Was also on the menu for the contiki. Yeah, Stephen Crane's contiki. Yeah, that's yeah. that's where it originated. Yeah, and so the tiki tea ripped off their logo tiki, right. <laughs> <laughs> which is great because it survived, you know. And that was that's, common. And I, I was happy to make a... Um, a mug for for them uh, out of that logo yeah, tiki. Where yeah. that's that's holding the the bamboo mug. You know, it's clearly the god of the cocktail. Could some of this also have been that at the time the suppliers for say the tiki mugs they were using, you had orchids of Hawaii that had a, a catalog of designs. Yeah. And maybe they said, well, that's our new logo right there. Mm, and then another restaurant, maybe in Illinois, said, that's our new logo right there. It happens to be the same tiki because yeah, they, they could get a mug of it. Right. It's not, you know, they didn't really uh, rip off the logo tiki completely, but one of the most famous ones is the Tiki Bob's mug for for, sure. the, for that Elvis, uh, yeah. you know, Blue Hawaii a uh, uh, movie distributor convention, you know. It had nothing to do with Elvis, and it was clearly the logo mug for Tiki Bob's Tiki that, Bob. that was taken from the menu design and the statue outside of the bar. But, you know, someone saw it in the catalog, like you said, from the, you know, the movie distributors organization and said, I, I want that for our... Yeah. And now it's like one of the most valued <laughs> Tiki yeah. mugs and, out there. Cause and that, speaking of Tiki Bob, there are variations of that mug also been reused in, I think, is it the Bali... Oh, that, yeah, the Bali, Bali High, High in, 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 in uh, New Louisiana? Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Louisiana, yeah. New Orleans, yeah. The Lake Pontchartrain Bali High. Yeah, they, yeah. Had, they had their own... So even yeah. Tiki Bob was reused. Yeah. Yeah. It's an outrage. When you were writing this book, I know that it was all inclusive of everything that you were learning along the way, but there had to be a couple of things that you learned afterwards that maybe the book had already been published and you thought, darn it, I wish I could have included that in the book. Was there anything that like, like that? Or anything that you regret not including? Well, you know, there's like slight variations. For example, the evolution chart that 
I found out later that you know Tiki really didn't start in the in the f early 50s. It started around the mid 50s, and that sort of got me thinking that if you think about 20th century art and style forms, that this de that uh, separation into decades from the 20s, 30s to the 40s really doesn't fit that well. It would be much more fitting to go from 1925 to 35. To 30. If you look at car design, which is really a great tell, telling factor about style uh, in the 20th century, the cars looked from 1935 to 45 looked more like than from the th from 1930 to 1940. Or same with from 1955 to 65. Although around 1960 they really they lost their fins a lot, but anyway, they, I, I later realized that the true heyday of tiki really only lasted from 1955 to 1965. Okay, it was a kind of a brief period. Yeah, yeah. Before that, yes, there was. It was all pre-tiki. It, it was Polynesian pre pop. It was you know bamboo and hula girl and stuff, but the. The logo of the tiki figure did not come into you know widespread use and did not replace the hula girl as the the theme figure of Polynesian pop until around 1955. And tiki bobs was one of the main factors, but um, the Trader Vic's menus are uh, one of the clearest indicators when you look at the early. 40s menus with all the hula girls and natives, and then all of a sudden they became, you know, this the the Maori tiki uh, yeah, uh, yeah. menus, um, and then the whole history of Don the Beachcomber and the Maikai. You know, Don the Beachcomber. Nowadays, you know, it's become like the in in the media and especially in the in the foodie internet media, everybody's like Don the Beachcomber. The, the godfather of tiki, you know, the the inventor of tiki, which is you know technically not true because he never used tiki's as his logo. Mm. He was, yeah, he was the godfather of the tiki cocktail, and of the atmosphere and the whole environment. But the Thornton brothers were the ones that took the cannibal tiki's from him that he just used. As one of many things in his operations and in his uh, print media, and the Thornton brothers made it uh, their logo, you right. know, of the logo of the Maikai. Yeah, and Maikai. when did that happen? Yeah. Uh, around 1955, okay. when they poached, you know, the complete crew, management and crew, from the Don Beachcomber in Chicago, to uh, you know, start working at their new Maikai. And and with yeah. that. Yeah. They they saw the cannibal tiki's and they they became you know the logo tiki's for yeah. Maikai for a long time. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. Do we know who the first? I've heard uh, Tiki Bob be credited as really kind of the first tiki mascot or tiki logo. Well, there's in a way because it's also in the name. You know, that's yeah. another factor. Once t the tiki logo became more. Uh, you know the the icon of Polynesian pop. The name started popping up more. Yeah. But um, there was actually this place in Seattle called the Kalua Room, 
Yeah, the that, Polaroid. That yeah, used yeah. the same tiki on the outside, and that was 1953, so they were early, ahead of their time in a way. Yeah. Um, they used it on the outside of the bar, on the menu, and on the matchbox, you know, so you. You could say that was like the first example of a logo tiki, but it doesn't mean that it really took off then. It didn't really, uh, you know, all come together until around 1955. Yeah, yeah. If you could have a time machine, what would your top three no longer existing tiki destinations be? Tiki Gardens in Florida. Tiki Gardens, okay. That always, that's like one of my favorite places because it's such a great example of self-made, self naive, but really uh, loving and inspired form of, of you know, tiki style. Mm -hmm. Not only to call it tiki gardens, but to build all these funny looking concrete tiki gods and... Um, it must have just been uh, a great place. Um, the next one would may probably be the, like the Luau in Beverly Hills. Oh yeah, the Luau. Yeah. Again, again another great example of of pre tiki becoming tiki, when you know because it used the location of the tropics, which was a very popular Beverly Hills place when that kind of went out of fashion. Steve Crane took it over and renamed it the Luau, and started using tikis as logos yeah. and as yeah. decor. Um, and then, oh yeah, Christian's Hut. Christian's Hut, yeah. Christian's Hut, that, you know. At the Isthmus. At the Isthmus, and then also any of the locations, you yeah. know. Um, the one in Newport Beach um, yeah. um, was really like, a, I, I call them tiki power places. Oh, now you've got me remembering the Lanai. Oh, the Lanai in San Mateo. Oh, I've heard stories, I've never obviously been there yeah you, you see you hear these stories of people going there uh the, you know from, they remember it from their childhood and they must have been so impressed yeah and i've seen some photos of the like murals of like a whole wall that's uh, like a uh, with a, a port an exotic port of call with a big chinese junk yeah beautiful painted murals and stuff like that and and they had they had one of my favorite things that is, hasn't been done much are uh, the day to night backlit bar murals, oh, you know, like the Konakai yeah, had. Yeah, yeah. They had one of those where we are, we sit at the bar and there was this Polynesian landscape with a, you know, a palm tree, a volcanoes yeah. and, and stuff. And it, there was a, you know, the lighting effect of it changing from daytime day to, night. to night and back. I think I'd like to see the Konakai. Yeah, those were those were glass, back painted glass paintings oh. actually. Did you see, have you been there? No. When did they close? It was well, 90s, I, right? Not that one. I, I didn't, I've been to the, in, in Chicago. You oh, know, Chicago. The, I went I'm there. I'm talking about Philadelphia. Yeah, Philadelphia. It closed in the 1980s sometime. Oh, 80s. You know? yeah. Because I've seen the photographs, I don't know if they're postcards, but man, that place looked so elaborate. It had running water, waterfalls, bridges. Everything. It had all the carvings and the yeah. tikis. It was the flagship yeah. for all the other Konakais. Uh, yeah. The Chicago one was great too. It had 
bridges and water and and um, waterfalls and no, but the Philadelphia one must have been a sight yeah. to see. I think another I'd like to. another time machine sure. thing you would want to yeah. visit. Three three choices are hard, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you more than three. Yeah, right. that's that's. I think we're at six right now. <laughs> right? Of course, I, I never got to see the Kahiki. I missed the yeah. the closing party because, and I had intended to go, but I had at the time the timing was bad. I had just bought a house. My son was just born. And I was flat. What, you bought a house instead of going I know, to the right? Kaiki? I, I was flat broke. <laughs> and in, in retrospect, I should have just thrown it all on a credit card <laughs> and, and gone anyway. But I think also I'd like to go back to Don Don's uh, Don's Beachcomber on McCadden Place. Oh, yeah, that was And one. see the first one, right? The very first, the, the thing that started it all. Um, Tiki T when Ray was still around or even when Ray just opened it. I'd like to be at the bar when he made his first mistake. Yeah. Um, that would be maybe Hinky time. Dinks before and after Hinky Dinks, and then after it became Trader Vicks. Right. So there's there's a lot on the list. As a tiki guy, there's a lot on the list. I got to see some of those places. I got I got a tour of the closed down San Francisco Trader Vicks uh, when it had already closed. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, I went to the Kahiki twice. Because sure. first, in the in the uh, mid to late nineties, I I went there with Jeff Barry to photograph it for the Book of Tiki, and then there was the famous you know farewell party. Farewell party, yeah. Where I it was so tragic for me because I was shooting a B movie at the time, and normally as a DP you can't just pack up and leave you know yeah but I knew I had to go there so I found somebody to sub for me on the Friday so I could leave like Friday and fly to Columbus and I had gotten my publisher Tashin to rush a hundred copies of the book of Tiki to Columbus Ohio so I could reveal it there you know oh, okay. which would have been a great yeah, yeah. great thing because yeah. the Kaiki was in, in the, the book, book. Yeah. And, um, you know, it would have really been a good thing. So I get there on Friday afternoon, and I find out that they never, they're stuck at Customs. And Customs is, of course, closed on yeah. Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had the one proof, the one copy with me from L.A., but nothing else. And I was just like... You know, I got really drunk and was like saying, yeah, yeah, this is going to be the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that that's uh, that's the way life works sometimes. Yeah, and you know, you were going to ask me about my some of my regrets, and you, you just tipped me off to my one of my greatest regrets was that I just I lived up the streets street from Don the Beachcomber, the original Hollywood Don the Beachcomber, in the Hollywood Hills. I mean, I literally would have just had to go down the hill and make a right on Highland, and then I probably saw it driving by on Highland, although it was one, you know, the backside of it yeah. um, was one block away. But at the time, in the early 80s, I just wasn't sensitized to the whole thing. Sure, yeah. So I could have, I lived nearby, I could have gone in there, and I passed it by multiple times every week, I'm sure, 
and I never went inside. Yeah. It still kills me to this day. There's stuff like that with me too. Like I wish I knew then what I know now. You know, my first tiki experience was Don the Beachcomber in Marina del Rey. And it was in the mid-80s. It was 1986. Well, that's great because I never even went there. That was, you know, I even heard about that great sale too late, which was another killer yeah, regret. I, I mean, I could have visited it again and again and again, and I just, I just didn't know better. Yeah. You know? No, we weren't hip to it. Yeah. And I do Simple sometimes when, I've, when I'm in Hollywood and I have a few moments and I'm in that part of town... I'll stand on the sidewalk and try to imagine where the Don the Beachcomber, Don Beachcomber's, Don's Beachcomber Cafe stood. Right. It's a giant apartment building there yeah. now. Well, when I finally found out about it, it was a parking lot and it still had the Don the Beachcomber parking sign. Yeah, the sign, yeah. I photographed yeah, that. Yeah. But that's I think what I saw was, that photo. You posted that on Tiki Center, yeah, right? Yeah, that was all that was left. Yeah, yeah. The parking lot. And it's so funny because it said parking. They didn't destroy it, you know. They right. Did, because they were too cheap to build a new one. <laughs> so they left them down the beachcomber right. parking. <laughs> so speaking of Tiki Central, 2000 rolls around. The Book of Tiki's released. And it was a unique time in our lives. Like the, the internet was something that we started logging into every day. Right. And Tiki Central had started sometime around that time. Book of Tiki was released. Soon after, Otto started doing Tiki Oasis events annually. Let's talk about that time a little bit. What were your What are your thoughts about looking back now when all of that was just starting to pick up steam? Well, it, you know, it was um, very rewarding to see so many things happening, but it really didn't dawn on me that there was, you know, uh, something bigger. Uh, coming up than this, you know, it was, I mean, Tiki Oasis, first Tiki Oasis was like, I don't know, 50 people. Or yeah, I remember. Like, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, 50, not 500 yeah, yeah. <laughs> or 5,000. 5,000. 5,000 is um, closer to the number these days. And um, the same with everything else, you know, um, it was still fairly contained. Yeah. Um, and and it was nice to on on Tiki Central to meet other people that were into it, and you know some of the great collectors like Sabu and Tiki yeah. Kate contributing stuff and and filling in the pieces of the mosaic that were missing of the puzzle, um, and you know me finding uh, still to this day I'm amazed that every now and then something pops up that yeah. I have not seen before. You yeah. Know? It's rare. Wow, even now, <laughs> even now, huh? I remember on those early years at Tiki Central, there was kind of a, a little bit of a compliment between the book of Tiki and the research you had done over that decade prior to it being published mm. and how it influenced people from their parts of where they grew up or their parts of town supplementing what you had discovered they were yeah it showed were, them what to look for basically yeah they were encouraged to do their own urban archaeology and look at their old photos and they started pulling up menus and postcards matchbooks things like that right and uh, and i thought it was kind of neat to see 
that some of the stuff that you did, oh, you know what, there were some things just like that over here that, and I remember you commenting on that, wow, this is great that I'm seeing things. Yeah. That, because you, you, most of your research was done in California, right? Well, yeah, no, I mean, you know, the Kahiki and, and, oh, sure. and all okay. the Trader yeah, Vicks yeah. uh, locations across the United States. And um, I would say, you know, my, like, apartments and stuff like that. The yeah, research yeah, was yeah. all situated around color. But I did go, also in the 90s, I, I had a, a camera cinematography job up north in, um, in Tacoma. And wherever I went, I started looking for tiki places. Right. And I photographed a lot, a lot of great tiki apartment buildings around the Tacoma, Seattle area that are not there anymore. Yeah. You know? Um, so what was really great about yeah the book of tiki and tiki central coming out it also paralleled the rise of ebay sure that's right so, yeah so you know yeah i the book of tiki raised a whole new generation of collectors that in turn i could rely on for my next books because i'm proud right. to say that you know i i i you know, assiduously um, avoid to double up imagery in my books. You know, so some people maybe have not bought Tiki Pop because they think, oh, I've, you know, I already have this other two or three books. But, um, you know, at the most, there's maybe like, like f between five and 10% of images that I had in other books in any of my new books. And everything else is new. And I was able to do that for Tiki Modern, which came out in 2007, seven years after the Book of Tiki, um, because I had raised this whole new generation of, of collectors who I then could, you know, ask if they could lend me material for my next book. With the Book of Tiki, I really had used up all my best everything material. Everything you had, yeah. Not, and like, almost everything, almost you know. Almost everything, okay. Uh, the best stuff, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to realize that in my books, it's it's, you know, it's distilled down to the best imagery. Yeah. There's, you know, maybe for each chapter, there's like 10 times more of what I, of material that I have that gets in the, in the book editing process gets thrown out because I, I really just want to use the best eye candy. Yeah. Have you thought about the influence of this book with the things that surround us today. So, and I, I made a note of this. So, for example, how much it's influenced the local art scene, the craft cocktail movement, uh, bar and restaurant theming, thrifting and collecting, urban archaeology. It's, it's influenced so many things. Is, have you ever thought about that? Well, it's kind of mind-boggling, to be honest with you. I mean, when you consider that if this book were not read, how many of those things would not have been influenced to what they are today? They, they are to us, you know, because we've been, we're, it's still a very tight scene. And, and um, comparatively, you know, and, and I'm talking about mass pop culture. Um, uh, and... You know, you, you, you mentioned so many aspects, I don't know where to start. Um, craft cocktails, of course, you know, um, they, they were 
mostly inspired, you know, the craft cocktail scene was inspired by, by Jeff Barry's research, who, by the way, um, I don't know how many people realize, wrote the cocktail yeah, chapter wrote the in, the book, cocktail chapter, in yeah. the book of Tiki as my yeah. only guest author. Um, Very nice. And, it, you know, it's interesting, though, that, again, I, in the recent years, it has become more and more clear that the new generation of craft cocktail uh, um, aficionados that has grown up with the internet, um, a lot of them are not aware of my books, and and they're especially when they're from Middle America and the East Coast, they haven't even grown up with some of the classic tiki bars that we have grown up here. Yeah. And there is a really sort of a gap of of knowledge, or it's not knowledge so much, it's it's or it's experiential knowledge of the West Coast of people that have grown up around real tiki bars and that had this, you know, that have been spoiled by having lots of tiki around them from from the mid-century culture to the revival because the revival started here to, to really take off. And, and the younger generations on the East Coast that, um, you know, to them the word tiki means cocktails. Right. Right. You see these new books called Minimalist Tiki and Easy Tiki, and what they mean is Minimalist Tiki Cocktails and Easy Tiki Cocktails. But no, to them, Tiki equals mixology, you know. The, although Jeff Berry's books certainly are, are not at fault because he, he had, had the knowledge and in, you know, in um, Sip and Safari, and some of the other books, he really digs deeply into the history and into the culture. And and uh, Martin Kate did a great job with you know his book uh, of showing the whole universe of tiki. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think if you haven't really experienced this life and stuff, it, it's all this stuff, and also they can't get it like we can and it's not accessible to be you can you can't you know go to oceanic arts and right, buy it right, right. and um, then you start to focus you know they started focusing on the on the drinks and then that's that was tiki yeah yeah it's kind of strange because I've always looked at your book as something that documented an art movement right not cocktails right right it's this forgotten art movement that was very much a part of American history that when I first started going through the book, I thought, oh my God, I had forgotten about this and I had forgotten about that. And oh yeah, I remember this from when I was a kid. Right. And it's, it's amazing to know that without that book, a lot of those things would have just been lost to time like they were before the book came out it was there was no it's it, you know i just said that on, on facebook it's hard to imagine of nowadays because within one mouse click you see yeah. thousands of yeah. things there was nothing it, it was a total black hole and people that I talked to that had been veterans of, of you know, Tiki, even they had sort of, to them it was, was like some kind of forgotten dream yeah. that they weren't sure if it really happened, so to speak. And um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard to put yourself back into the moment of the 
80s and 90s when there was such a thing as tiki, even, even the, the, you know, the term, it wasn't called sure, that. Yeah. It was called Polynesian style. Sometimes it was called Contiki style. Yeah. Um, but the fact that really the tiki, and that's still the essential point for me, is that the tiki figure was the, <laughs> the key logo of, of this whole movement. Um, that really wasn't defined to that degree. Do you think the timing of the book, so it came out in 2000, and I know the book was instrumental in saving a few spots from changing their style or their theme. Like, for example, the Caliente Tropics, we've talked about this right. before. It saved the tropics from being remodeled out into something that looked like everything else. Right. Do you think the timing of the book could have changed the fate of some of these other spots, like for example, the Kahiki, if the book had been released sooner, or yeah. you know, in a different period, yeah. could it have saved other things? You think? It, it you know, you'll never know. Um, yeah. um, the Tropics is one of the most obvious examples because, literally, my my friend Pete Maruzzi brought the book to the new owners, yeah. and my book convinced them that they had something special. And they did. Right. Did you know that there's another kind of, is it, maybe it's a Polynesian <clears throat> style, not tiki so much. Uh, it's also a Ken Kimes motel, which I believe it's somewhere in India or something. Do you just, know about that one? That's another tropics. Boris took me to it. Well, the, you're, you're talking about the tropics in Modesto. No, also in Indio. In Indio, okay. There Boris were five tropics in desert cities. Indio, Blythe, um, Modesto, oh, and there was one on Rosemead in L.A. too. Oh, on Rosemead. Yeah, that was that one was one. I didn't get to see that one. Wow. That went right away. Rosemead Boulevard just had so much tiki stuff on it. I know. It's crazy. I used to do a tour for people because you could show them like five apartment buildings, and then stop at Bakuga, right. Bakuga <laughs> which was great. That's right. It really sort of summed it all up nicely. Yeah, I would take people to Bahuka that were not as familiar with the urban archaeology thing. We'd go to have lunch at Bahuka, and then I'd say, jump in the car, and I'm going to show you a few more spots. You would just go up the street, maybe yeah. a quarter mile, to the Kalua apartment. Right. And that was in the Book of Tiki. Yeah. And people's jaws would drop. And then you'd go up the street again, and I can't remember the name of the other one. There's another one. Konakai. The Konakai? Right. Is it Konakai? Yeah, so uh, that was... That was uh, uh, a neat thing, you know, where you had these like little pockets where it was right. concentrated, <laughs> like Shelter Island in San Diego. Yeah, well, great place. Right, yeah, yeah. So, over the years, you've released other books in this genre mm -hmm. and, and media as well The Sound of Tiki, Tiki Modern, Tiki Pop, The Art of Tiki. When you wrote these, were, were these written as you learned more about the subculture. I know that you said the Tiki Modern people were contributing more content. Uh, was this also just in response to the, the growth of the popularity? Or is uh, it both? Both. Um, but also, you know, my, my need to share yeah. my findings. Um, I had found my first Whitco catalog at Oceanic Arts, and I looked at it, and I was in total disbelief. And I was like, this can't be, people couldn't have 
you know, decorated their houses like this. <laughs> <laughs> this, this looks like the, the music video set for the cramps. Right. Until you find shaker. out that Elvis's jungle room was yeah. in in the last, you know, I opened the book of Tiki here. I just want to show to people. What yeah. do I open it with? Is with a with a great yeah. Whitgo photo from their catalog. Um, and then on the last page, I talk about wanting to do a book about Whitgo. That that took another seven years, but Tiki Modern is really in large part the history of Whitco, but I also, it's, it is, I think, one of my, or my favorite book because I, you know, I'm equally uh, inspired by mid-century modernism and uh, in Tiki Modern I got to show uh, how both of these unique, you know, stylistic forms existed at the same time at, at like yeah. there were the opposite end of the spectrum one was about modernism and jet age uh, and you know uh, sparse design and the other one was this totally baroque primitivism right. but they were you know people needed to escape from one to the other and and back and forth and, and they and coexisted they coexisted so there's a great photo in here actually i'm going to go back to the book and it's also towards the beginning of the book Aloha Joe's or this one where you oh, yeah. have so this is the photo that I'm referencing uh, we have a coffee shop modernist style coffee shop boogie a, coffee shop yeah with a primitive carving there so, in the foreground yeah so uh, Davis yeah I find that uh, it's almost like milk and cookies yeah right? they almost go together perfectly like that so um, you know that was that but I for example you mentioned the sound of Tiki my CD um, I felt a need for that because initially I wanted the Book of Tiki to have a chapter about Exotica. Right. And I was even thinking, talking to my publisher about including a CD in the, on the back oh. inside cover that ah. would pop out. Interesting. And you could yeah. listen to Exotica while you looked at the book, which would have been great, but it was it turned out to be cost prohibitive. Yeah. So, although Taschen, you know, I'm very happy with Taschen because they create these thick, full-color books that really are horn of plenty of images. Um, so, but talk about that. That's an interesting story because Taschen wasn't your first choice for a publisher. Oh, well, no. I tried all kinds of American publishers at the time. But in the 90s, the publishing business was very much concentrated on the, on the East Coast and around New York. And um, on the East Coast, it just wasn't that much tiki. There was Trader Vic's in New York and, mm. you know, the, um, the Hawaii Kai and stuff. And a, a couple of people knew about it and loved it. But in the publishing world, they didn't get my proposal. They didn't understand, yeah, they didn't understand what I was, was yeah. you know, trying to do because they had not, they couldn't compare it to anything. Yeah. Um, it's just like with the movie business or the way the movie business used to be. Um, now with all the streaming channels and stuff, there's you know, it's it seems to have become easier to come up with unique ideas. But back then, <clears throat> publishers wanted to. The question was always, what else like that is out there? Mm -hmm. And I was like, but 
don't you get it? There's nothing. There's that's nothing. That's the, the point. That's yeah. the great about it. Yeah. Everything else, you know, has been regurgitated like, you know, Cadillac tail fins and Marilyn Monroe and stuff has all been used up in the sort of, you know, vintage culture uh, uh, storybook. But um, here's something that, that hasn't been done before. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, and they were yeah. They wanted to play it safe. Yeah. So they didn't go for it. And, um, yeah, it was ironic that another German who just happened to move his business to America um, then picked it up. But, uh, you know, as much um, as he did a great job with the book, it I also wanted to keep it at a low and affordable price, which Tarzan is also famous for. And um, so they said, no, you have to lose a chapter. It has to become uh, shorter. And so I decided to nix the Exotica chapter together with the CD yeah. because, uh, you know, on... on on second thought, I thought, you know, I want it to be a real book and not like this fun novelty thing with the CD in the back. Right, I want it right. to be a book book. Yeah. So I just uh, Did we lose anything it. else on that? Um, was there any other uh, chapters that were cut? Maybe Tiki TV. Tiki TV, I thought Tiki was one television. you mentioned before. But I'm glad I did because I didn't know as much about as I know now about okay. Tiki TV. Okay. And I, I got to show it in Tiki Pop, you know? Yeah. That's the other... Uh, book you you know <clears throat> you were asked you asked if I did this on because people wanted to to have more material um, and also just it, it, these things happened like that the director of the Cape on Lee Museum in Paris wanted to do an exhibition with me and he also wanted Tashin to do the catalog so that's how Tiki Pop happened and that's how the name I was a little bit resistant to tiki pop because it it sort of merges tiki and Polynesian pop, which I always like to keep. Okay, yeah. You know, right, in their own definition. There's, there's pre-tiki and then there's the tiki. Yeah, and all right. everything together is Polynesian pop, really. Right. But you know, for for commercial reasons, of course, it had at the you know at this point in time, around 2014, the tiki had to be uh, you know in the in the term. Right. for people to react to it and um, I I came up with this concept um, for the book that was very much something that also French people would respond to the French are huge fans of classic Hollywood right. movies and, and culture and so I you know I basically wrote the book with this concept of a great tiki lounge is really like a good film set and and it all came again. It came together. It, it really, when you look upon it, you know, Don DeBeachcomber started as an advisor to South Seas movies, and and he rented out his uh, decor as props. It all centered around Hollywood. Right. Um, Christian's Hut, you know, being a film set for Mutiny on the Bounty. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, it brought me back to this whole arch of how entertainment and and fiction developed, uh, starting with books like classic, South Seas classic, like Mutiny on the Bounty, then being, you know, made into films, and then the film sets becoming bars and restaurants. Yeah, interesting. So let's talk about the future of Sven Kirsten. I believe you're 
working on some new projects? Yeah, I have, you know, I always have several book projects and people are surprised to hear that I'm, I can, I have a couple of more books about Tiki in me. I can't believe that there's still more to write about Tiki. Well, you know, my, I've been talking about the look of Tiki, which is my book about uh, Tiki shirts, Hawaiian shirts with Tiki aesthetic um, for a while. And I'm still hoping to do that one at some point because there are several books out there about Hawaiian shirts, but I particularly like these, you know, the, the modernism aspect of it with, with petroglyphs and, and tapa patterns and antiques on them, of course, and all this mixture with these incredible colors. Um, it would make a wonderful book. And of course, I would reference the motifs back to the original sources and, and so, you know, places that had murals and, and other type of use for Polynesian patterns. So it would be, um, it would be a fun book. I'm also working with um, Eve Bergeron, Trader Vic's granddaughter, on the Trader Vic's book. That's exciting. That's exciting to hear. Yeah. Um, because, you know, she, she is one of us, and she has saved and preserved a lot of material that would have gotten yeah. thrown away otherwise yeah. from the company. And, um, and Trader Vic had his own style. Mm. His style was very unique to Trader Vic's. It was different than all of the other Polynesian pop palaces. Yeah, it was, you know, it was uh, uh, sort of upscale. The Trader Vic's yeah, was an exactly. upscale place. Yeah. And of course, you know, the, the whole nautical aspect of, of the Trader comes into it, which is cool. Um, and you got to photograph Trader Vic's in Atlanta. At Atlanta, you know, earlier this year I was at Inuele, the, the Tiki Weekender, and and uh, I got to go with Eve uh, into the Trader Vic's Atlanta when it was empty still and photograph, take my time to photograph it. It was lovely. Very nice. Yeah, I, I've, I've been to that before when I would travel to Atlanta for business. And what I love about that Trader Vic's is they have their own button in the elevator I know, with a little carved plaque that says Trader Vic's. So uh, it's, I think it's the only place like that, right? That's pretty cool. I know. It's, it's great because, you know, it's like really like you're going to a different place yeah. when you go down to the basement and with the elevator that says Trader Vic's. Yeah, and you open and the doors open it's, and, and you're there. Yeah. You're in another, you've been transported to another world. Yeah. And the one in Munich is, is wonderful. It was built in 1974. It's in the basement of the um, hotel, um, um, which one is it? Is it the Four Seasons? It's it's a really posh hotel in okay. Munich. Okay. And it always had a, like an upscale clientele. That's uh, what allowed it to stay open. And they haven't changed a bit since 1974. It's, it's, it's amazing. When it's you great... post photos of that, it looks unbelievable. It's like going back in time. It, it's yeah. something that I've always said that I want to go see. So I'd love to see that with you, and of course our friend Jochen, who's who's there in Germany as well. I, yeah. I, I keep telling him that the next time I get out there, I'm going to bug him about taking me there. So yeah, I miss I think it. That'd be a fun time. It was one of my favorite go-to places when I was shooting there to go sit at the bar. I think the great thing with Trader Vic's is have all these little tidbits and then the cocktails right together. Yeah. Order a little bit of that more and a little bit of that, and yeah, then they yeah. That's great. Yeah. 
Very nice. So that's the Trader Vic's book. But then I'm also veering off Tiki to another pet subject of mine, Mayan Revival style, which was a, a 1920s to 30s phenomenon in America, uh, when Americans were in love with Mayan and Aztec culture, and um, every city had at least you know one of those built the the movie theaters, like the Mayan theater and downtown. The Mayan, the Mayan downtown. That that's a beautiful theater. And, and it's from 1927, and it's still unrenovated, which for uh, for Los Angeles is amazing. And and it's always been active. It's never closed right. down. So I remember in the 80s and 90s, it was a nightclub. And it's so, I mean, it's floor to ceiling, like a, like a tiki temple. It's so Baroque, full of, you know, every surface is sculpted in, in Mayan style with, yeah. with glyphs and statues. and. Yeah, yeah, wow. There's a lot of this around L.A. now. You know, I never noticed this before. You have an eye for this because it's something that's always exi existed in my subconscious and when you started mentioning this to me a while ago that you were working on this, I thought, of course, why didn't I see this before? Right. It's always been there. Like the Aztec in Monrovia. Aztec Hotel, yes. I, I've driven by it a hundred times. And, and I think that there's a, what's the name? Is it Frank, Frank Lloyd uh, has a... Yeah, Frank Lloyd Wright had his phase here in L.A. where he built several, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. I... Uh, um, he had this interesting take on it that was very modernist, ahead okay. of its time. Uh, he didn't call it Mayan outright, but it was clearly a phase, and he was influenced by that. Okay. He was just too smart of an architect to, you know, to say that I, he was subject to a trend. He you know, oh, wanted every yeah, every okay. piece, yeah, yeah. every of his yeah. one of his buildings, be his own creation. So he never credited mine or Aztec design. Interesting. So there's a lot to discover there too. So I expect that once you start doing research on this. Oh, it's already laid out the book. Oh, it is. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Do we have a publish? Yeah, it's going to be um, Correro Books. Okay. From London that did. Uh, um, they did the uh, the home bar book with Kelly and Tom Morgan. Okay, yeah. You know, and they did um, books with Derek Yanniger. Okay. Um, so that's that's going to be. Uh, I'm really happy about that book. That's going to come out. Do you know? Hopefully next year. Without giving away some of the content, do you know how much of it mirrored the Polynesian pop kind of stuff? Well, it it wasn't. Were they doing like like with the Polynesian pop stuff? I mean, it had permeated everything from dry cleaners to apartment buildings. Not to that degree, uh, because it, you know what? It, what it never really entered much was the um, restaurant and bar business. Yeah. And as we know, you know, from the revival, that's a food and right, grog right, right, is a right. large part of what gets people going. Right. Even to the degree that that you know, cocktails are just more important to some people than the whole culture. Right. Um, you know, as I said, booze always uh, wins over art. <laughs> but that's okay, you know, as long as the art, you know, continues to exist. And uh, um, no, but Mayan revival was mostly an architectural style. Okay. Uh, so I don't predict, predict some kind of, you know, huge revival like ha it happened with, with the Tiki revival. 
but still, it's 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 just an absolutely the and, and the personalities behind it, the the architects and and um, it it permeated a lot of aspects of American life in its day, and because it was so much longer ago, it is even more forgotten, and it was also a little bit harder to dig yeah, up. Yeah, I bet. And even harder to dig up stuff, uh, you know, although there are books out about it already is my my next one of my next books after that is going to be on american fraternal orders and secret societies wow so you're doing this whole series on american subcultures and ex uh, exoticism you know exoticism okay. which is in 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 you know in this uh, age of cultural appropriation accusations it's a very touchy subject but i just love that stuff when when americans were in love with a foreign and exotic culture, and they started, they wanted to recreate it in their own way, without wanting to own it or wanting to, you know, make a buck of it or yeah, any of Yeah, they just wanted things. to celebrate it yeah. and enjoy it for what it was. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, all these things are disappearing more and more uh, in today's America, and everything is being replaced by this bland, you know, uh, Mac architecture where you see boxes upon boxes going up and you know i i mean driving here you just you know you you don't know where you are because all you see are these right. these shopping centers with these towering signs right. of the same stores yeah. every couple of miles and it all looks the same and all these all these different exotic styles they're an antidote to that uh, genericism and and people want that and need that when we were chatting earlier before we started recording, I had mentioned one of the things I remembered growing up was the Western theme that had seemed to permeate a lot of things. Right. So we had these Western-themed restaurants, and we had Western-themed shopping centers where I remember they put the planks down where we would walk these uh, boarded f floors or whatever right. you want, boarded sidewalks. There were... Um, Stores like Miller's Outpost that were the used saloon doors right. for their dressing rooms, and it was all Western themed. It was all pure romanticism, you know. Yeah. Um, furniture, you know, with these wagon wheels, you know, right. the, the, the equivalent to the rattan furniture that right, we sit in. Right. They had this great wagon wheel furniture. Right, and all this thematic stuff that doesn't exist as much these days because, like you said, everything's being genericized into a beige stucco box. Oh, beige. What's even worse nowadays is the black and gray look. <laughs> like even, a gray stucco box. Yeah, they start painting buildings. <laughs> and that in freaking Southern California. <laughs> a black building. How idiotic is yeah, that? But yeah. it's it's the look at the moment. Right, right. And it's so cold and, and unappealing to yeah. me. Well, you know, I, my people... thought is that whoever's doing that is it's a design trend that they're trying to where they're trying to make themselves stand out that they're different. Right. They painted their building black. But right. now many people are doing it and, and it's not uh, different anymore yeah. and it's just moronic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, maybe so in much. the future someone will write a book about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, yeah, no. I remember that when I was a child, those weird black and gray buildings. <laughs> the book of black buildings. <laughs> <laughs> My father was working in the other, and he, it was killing him. <laughs> <'Cause> it was... 
Well, I want to say thank you for taking the time to coming out to the Desert Oasis room and sharing the 20th anniversary of the Book of Tiki yes. this month. We're celebrating that the whole month. Thank you for not only coming out here. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for changing my life. <laughs> Tremendously, without that book, I don't know what I'd be doing today. It's That book shaped everything that I do today and who I am. So. And thank you for understanding it in, uh, so well and creating this beautiful desert oasis room. Oh, I appreciate that so much. That means a lot coming from you. It comes straight out of its pages. Wow, thank you. Thank you. That's high praise. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, if people want to follow what you're doing... It's my Facebook page. I don't have a, okay. a blog or a website. Although I'm, I'm working on creating a, a website now because um, I'm, you know, slowly uh, being aged out of the cinematography profession, which is very competitive. And I'm thinking about maybe I can start making some money on the tiki thing. Everybody else is doing it, yeah. so I should try yeah. to yeah. get with it. Hey, without this book, <laughs> they wouldn't be where they are today. And right? I'm, I'm going to, I'm actually... Uh, my son is helping me build a web website and I'm going to have some products and my new um, my, my moniker will be my I came up with the name True Tiki True Tiki there you go because there's a lot of untrue tiki out yeah, nowadays yeah. so so it's funny you know. that you say that because uh, I have a mug that's being developed, my next mug. Yeah. And I've already thought of my slogan for marketing that mug. Yeah. It's going to say, keeping the tiki in tiki mugs. Right. So Very good. Yeah, as we know, uh, my old adage, if it says tiki on it, it should have tiki in it. Yep. 100%. 100%. Thank you. Well, thanks again, Sven. And for all our listeners out there, if you have any questions, comments, or just want to leave a shout-out, stop by our Facebook group page, Inside the Desert Oasis Room. And you can follow us there. Or also on Instagram at Polynesian Pop. And follow our friend Sven Kirsten. And uh, if you find you on Facebook, you're not on Instagram, right? Yeah, I am. But I, you know, I, I, I spend so much time on, on creating my Facebook story book album said I, I don't you know keep the Instagram as going yeah. as many other people do it's like uh, you know I, I, I commend that um, you know um, the hula girls what's his name Spike Spike he does some great <laughs> stuff on, on Instagram it's really funny and um, some people you know post photos of their home lounges and yeah. that's great yeah. I just I have so much stuff. I, I have to well, you've got you've got what four books you're working on now, right? I think I've well, got four. You know, specifically, uh, um, you know the 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 next one's going to be a Mayan revival. Then I promised Eve that we're going to do the Trade of X, but I'm also you know very far along with the Secret Society one. Okay. So and then yeah, the Hawaiian three. shirt. That's on the back burner that's, as that's always, okay. but it'll happen. Okay, okay. Damn it. Well, we look forward to it. And then, you know, I'm sure you can expect that I'm going to be picking up all of those as well. I have all your books. I have more than one on some of them. And, uh, of course, my favorite one, The Book of Tiki. By the way, do you have a favorite of all the ones that you've written? Like, a, you know, Tiki Modern. Is tiki really, Modern, okay. And it, it's unfortunately, uh, until recently, although now with the 20th anniversary, the Tiki, uh, the Book of Tiki has shot up pretty high in the used yeah. section. But Tiki Modern was always the most expensive because in its day, 
it was only printed once, while the Tiki oh, had the Kupuchi okay. had three yeah, printings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's not as many around. Yeah. Yeah. And um, gotcha. All right. But it's a good one. Well, when all these other ones come out, I hope we can get together and talk about those books yeah. as well. Yeah, sure. All right, awesome. Let's do a final toast. All right. Thank you, Sven. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. And aloha.